what triggered this bizarre behavior. Journey into the cold heart of northern darkness with Nordic crimes. That case uh, became like a scene from a horror movie. A new true crime documentary series that chilled the bone. The hunger for killing is increasing in the course of these homicides. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nordic Crimes is a part of the Acast family. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You may be subtly influencing jury selections throughout our country, Jack. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. In our previous episode, we heard the story of David Talley, the man with the 100-year prison sentence. He gave me the statutory maximum on each count, an aggregate sentence of 100 years with all the sentences running consecutive. And let me just clear something up straight away, David. You didn't kill anyone, did you? No, sir. No no officers were injured, nor were there any civilians um, injured. A 100-year sentence without the possibility of ever getting parole. If you're yet to listen to that episode, well, time to hit pause, head on back and catch up. Today, I sit down with one minute remaining's resident attorney, Michael Leonard, a partner at Leonard Trial Lawyers in Illinois in the United States. Michael has decades of trial experience and is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the US legal system. So as always, I was very keen to get his take on this case. So this is an interesting one uh, this week, Michael, because it's our first inmate who's not claiming to be innocent by any stretch of the imagination. Um, he certainly, you know, ha- had a checkered past and, and that all to do with drugs, unfortunately, which um, is seemingly um, quite a big issue. I mean, it's an issue all over the world, um, but it seems crack cocaine's a, a quite a, a substantial issue. So David Talley is not, by any stretch of the imagination, um, a unicorn. He's, uh, there's plenty of people like David out there. I mean, I know you deal with quite big cases and that sort of stuff, but have you ever had a, um, a situation in your career where you've dealt with someone who's basically gone down the wrong path because of drugs? Oh, yeah. Do- dozens of times, unfortunately. I mean, I think that uh, in, in criminal cases, you know, unless you have a, a defendant with a lot of resources, you know, 90% of the cases or maybe even higher are for defendants who have very little in the way of resources. And the uniform thing about them is, and it's sad, is the, the lack of opportunity they've had in their life 
all sorts of bad things that happened in their childhood, you know, um, maybe motherless, maybe fatherless, you know, subjected to violence, abuse, um, observers of violence and abuse, Mm. all sorts of issues that really are very common threads, no matter what state in the country you're in, in the States, those are, those are issues that are very common across the criminal justice system, uh, confronting defendants in all types of cases. So obviously, I mean, David says that um, every time he was in front of the judge, he he sort of asked for help and said, you know, look, I, I need help. I know I need help. I can say honestly that uh, each time I appeared before the court, um, I, I, I begged the courts for help. Yeah. Uh, one time I, I remember that uh, my family was totally behind me and we put like 25 of my family members in front of the court and the judge and begging him to let me go to a to a rehab center out in texas and uh, corpus christi texas and uh, he denies and now uh, after i get you to prison uh, if you want to go then then you can then you can go to your rehab if you if that's what you want to do um he even says that at one point he was supposed to do a drug rehabilitation program with inside the facility he was at but instead they got him using his trade and building the prison as opposed to being um you know, try, trying to rehabilitate him. In your experience, would you suggest that prisons are set up as places for people to rehabilitate themselves? Absolutely not. I mean, really, obviously, people do that basically, basically kind of on their own devices, mm. sometimes based upon religion, uh, very less frequently based upon programs that are offered within, in, within the institution. So that, that's very sad, too. I mean, we talk a big game in America about one of the goals of sentencing being being to rehabilitate our defendant. But in practice, it rarely happens because we don't give the funding at the federal or state level to really engage these people in programs. And it's a costly endeavor and it's not something that's politically popular, but we really offer very little to help someone rehabilitate themselves once they're in a prison or a jail. Let's talk about what David did for him to get this incredible sentence Um, because we know he he ended up with a 100-year prison sentence. Now, obviously, he he did the wrong thing. He he went on the run, obviously. He he ran from police. Um, He was involved in a a car chase. Dangerous. There's no one's questioning that whatsoever. He could have definitely hurt someone. He could have killed someone, in fact. Obviously, he didn't, thankfully. He was arrested, taken back in front of this judge, as he says, the judge was furious with him. And I, I, look, I can understand where that judge is coming from because um, he said to David, apparently according to David, he said, you know, what, what would have happened if, if you'd killed someone? They would have blamed me. They wouldn't have blamed you. And David said that he really was taking the whole thing personally. And obviously David said, well, this wasn't personal. I just, I was sick of the cycle and I, I just didn't want to go back to jail and I was trying to end my life and all the rest of it. So the judge obviously is angry at him. And the thing that I learned is that in Florida, that the being a judge is actually a, um, a position, which is you're elected into that position, which probably has a quite a big deciding factor in the way these judges rule, I would imagine, because they want to be seen as tough uh, and not letting these people get away with things like what David did. Would you, would you think that, that would be somewhat true? Well, it's certainly a factor. I mean, judges are under scrutiny. You know, the, the cases where things go amok, like a case like this, Certainly a judge is going to be called into question, you know, why was that guy out on bond or why was he sentenced more harshly in a prior case? So those are all political sort of and public relations issues that judges have to worry about. I was a little troubled, though, if it's really true that the judge was basically making statements to the defendant that suggested that, you know, the blowback to me as a judge is going to be difficult and, you know, kind of 
woe is me type of thing. I, I'm troubled by that. That shouldn't be a factor yeah. in the sentence that the judge gives out. But, but it, you know, the, the point you bring up about judges being elected in our, you know, again, and I know some review, your viewers are not here in the States. You know, we have two kind of completely different systems. You know, we have the federal court system where judges are viewed in, in, in very high esteem, they're recommended by the U.S. senators in their states, approved by the president, subject to confirmation hearings by the United States sentence by the United States Senate. So that is a very, um, you know, difficult process to get through, and it's very different than having elected judges. Okay, um, and then on the state side, Florida and Illinois, where I am, like many states, they elect judges, so they're popular popularly elected. So. I wouldn't agree that they're they're making decisions all the time because it's an elective office. Certainly, they want to avoid public scrutiny. There's no question. Yeah. Uh, but typically, the terms are lengthy. For instance, in Illinois, like Florida, if a judge is popularly elected, our trial judges are giving a six-year term. Our appellate judges are given a 10-year term. Yeah, right. And then there's a vote to retain them or not, right? Mm. So once you get that office, it's a retention situation. So clearly, you know, they're, they're beholden to the public. But in our state, in Illinois, it's very rare that someone is removed and non-retained in election that, you know, after their term. Obviously, David goes back in front of the judge, and, and then the judge gets all these charges in front of them. The one, the the a couple of the charges I find interesting: the battery on the Leos, the law enforcement officers, um, with a deadly weapon, because they're saying that obviously, uh, while David was in his vehicle, um, he collided with a couple of police cars during the chase. David says that one of the occasions was them. <laughs> in fact, trying to do what they call a pit stop maneuver, where they knock the back of the car and spin him out. Another car that he hit was a police officer coming the wrong way down a one-way street and they collided as well. So with these collisions, David then picks up these charges of assault with a deadly weapon on a law enforcement officer. They weren't harmed in the chase. In fact, David says the the car that he hit, which he probably thought was the car that he hit the worst, he said that car actually still continued chasing him. So I find that charge quite incredible because it carries a very big sentence as well, of course, I mean, what are your thoughts on that as a, as a charge, as a, an a assault with a deadly weapon if, if the cars collide? It is a little bit controversial. When the defendant is using the car in a manner which is designed to or obvious to them that they're going to cause injury to another, I'm not surprised they bring the charge. I think you look at the bigger picture here, you know, you have law enforcement officers as a victim. OK, mm. that alone changes the equation dramatically. OK. Um, anytime law enforcement is involved and they're the victims of the perpetrator's crime, you know that the judge is going to be harsher on the defendant. There's no question. And it also, before we even talk about the judge, it goes into the decision to prosecute and what to prosecute the defendant for. Because prosecutors, as we know, work hand in hand with law enforcement. I'm not surprised by the fact that they overcharged and charged him with everything possible. And you got to think about the fact that prosecutors are charging based upon the potential sentencing. So they're actually charging because they can get a harsher sentence against them. So obviously then, as we say, we know the judge then gives him the maximum possible for every single one of those charges, which um, adds up to the, the 100 years. But what is 
I think what I mean, obviously, a hundred-year sentence is is crazy. But what I feel is is even crazier is the fact that there is no possibility of parole attached to that. I'm not sure if you heard the episode, but I was talking to the, the attorney from Florida, um, Mr. Kessler, um, who suggested that the Florida just does not use a system of parole. In fact, they've they've got a parole board, but there's literally no one who sits on that board. In some other state, David would come up for a parole hearing. I mean, we hear Charles Manson's followers get parole hearings. Uh, Or Han, they don't necessarily get out on parole, but they have a, a hearing on it. We don't really have a system of parole in Florida. It's still on the books, but it's not used. At some point along the line, I don't remember whether this was before or after David's case happened, but Florida now has as a matter of law that prison inmates are required to serve not less than 85% of their sentence. I think that's ridiculous personally, but that's, that's the law of the land here. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, I did hear that interview. I think you always interject one question to make sure I'm listening, but I, but I did hear that. <laughs> yes, but, um, checking on yeah. you. First of all, the sentence is absolutely ridiculous. To give him... 100 years based upon consecutive sentences, just absolutely absurd in light of his personal circumstances. You know, there's no legitimate argument that once you get to 8, 10, 15 years, whatever, whatever you, whatever we could all reasonably agree would be an appropriate sentence in his case. Mm. Once you get beyond that, there's absolutely no purpose to his incarceration, to his continued incarceration. So that really troubles me. And then as you add, the fact that there's effectively no parole in the state of Florida is ridiculous because you you're, you made a good point earlier. Even though the system doesn't necessarily offer means of rehabilitation by a lot of legitimate programs, people do turn themselves around. Mm. And you got to keep in mind that some of these people are very young when they go into the system. They have these ludicrously long sentences. And of course, they're going in there as young people in many instances or young men. And they, they are developing as humans over the course of these ridiculously long sentences, and they do undergo re- legitimate change. Mm. That's why most states 
always have parole systems because you can take into account the arc of the individual inmate, right? Mm. And it just makes sense as a society to reward people who do show legitimate indicia of change, right? Mm. And there are some states that have legitimate programs. And if you have programs and they do show this arc of change, why wouldn't you want to reward that? And why would you want to continue to waste resources on people that don't need those resources? It's not an inexpensive proposition to incarcerate someone for effectively their whole life. And it's a complete waste of the public resources to do it in a situation like the case we're talking about. And and that's the thing. And then as uh, Mr. Kessler also said, is like the only really David's only option is clemency from the governor, which he said, again, that's not going to happen because that governor has never given anyone clemency and he's just been reelected again as governor of that particular state of Florida. As you said, like all you're literally doing is you're incarcerating people for their entire lives, costing the the taxpayers and and the public a fortune housing these people and essentially saying to them, well, we're going to put you in prison now and it doesn't matter whether you turn your life around, we don't care because you're not getting out. Yeah, and I think what that says to the other inmates, you know, the other detainees that see a guy working hard that has turned his life around, that's doing something good for society and for the others within the institution and is getting no benefit out of it and is going to be essentially um, saddled for life in there. So it doesn't send a good message to the other inmates too. Like, what, what you know, what are we getting out of this? Yeah, Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Of course you want to reward people who turn their lives around. And yeah, Florida is a really difficult one. You know, if you have a track record of a governor who's never given, given clemency, uh, you're not really going to believe that you have uh, a chance of winning clemency. Uh, we're talking about Governor Ron DeSantis right now, who are. just did win re-election, mm. but his whole thing is is being tough on crime. And But I, I think you kind of bring up a broader picture, and I don't know what it's like in, in your society with criminal punishment, but the United States went through this period, which... You know, Joe Biden and Bill Clinton are attacked for because in the 1990s, they enacted these really tough on crime bills in the United States, which had brutal mandatory minimum sentences, meaning that a judge couldn't give less than a certain number. Right. Mm. And it really just tore apart a large segments of society. And then we had this sort of renaissance period in the United States over over, let's say, pre-COVID times for a period where everything was going the other direction. You Mm. know, district attorneys were being elected throughout the United States with criminal justice reform on their minds. And all these things were starting to take hold. And now because of COVID and then the increase in crime, we seem to be going right back to where we came from. And, you know, empirically, it's been shown that longer sentences don't necessarily do anything uh, to Uh, deter crime other than keeping that individual off the street. And so we know empirically that just giving people long sentences and mandatory minimums doesn't make sense because it doesn't work. It's been studied extensively. So I feel like we're at that frustrating point here in the States where we're kind of going right back to what we were doing before that we know didn't work. The word that you use perfectly there is frustrating. And with most of the cases I discuss and talk about and talk to these inmates, I try and remain on the fence with them. But obviously there's no need to remain on the fence with this one of the day. But I think for, for what that man did, 22 years he's already served. He, you know, he's, he's, he's drug free. Um, he's bettered himself. And, and for me, for him not to be able to get in front of a parole board to show them what he's done over the last 22 years to say, you know, this is what I've done. And, and for them not to look at, be able to look at that and go, you know what? Yeah, actually, you, you've turned your life around. You, you've shown that you've, you've become better. 22 years for what you did. You know, no one died 
Thank, thankfully, of course, they could have done, but we can't. We don't convict people on what could have happened. No one was seriously injured. You've done 22 years. It's time for you to get out. And to, to think that there is not the possibility of that happening for this man, it's actually quite concerning because I've spoken to David on a number of occasions, um, not for the podcast, just chatting to him, and it, the poor guy's hanging on by a thread really at the moment. The, the sad part is, you know, if you weren't looking at this story, it would get zero attention. I mean, legitimately, the only hope he has is that, that this program has shined some light onto him and others, which may help him in that clemency process or, or otherwise. And, may, it, you know, it's the type of story that gets people's attention here. And that's sad. That's what it takes oftentimes is media attention or a celebrity lending their name to a particular individual's plight who's been incarcerated. And that sometimes gets results, which is really not not how it should work. It seems to me that Florida especially is one place that you certainly don't want to find yourself in trouble, that's for sure. No, Florida and the South have a, have a very uh, sordid reputation for long sentences, for their use of the death penalty, and for really uh, injustices committed at the trial level in terms of racially-based prosecutions and things of that nature. So... Uh, there's there's a long history to Florida and some of the other states. And, and you know, look, Illinois uh, has its own problems. Many of our states do. And, you know, really the age old question is, you know, what what is the better system? It's just really hard on these judges because, you know, the Florida judge, just like many Illinois judges, they're going to see hundreds of defendants a year. And they're going to sentence dozens of them every year. And they're given very little information and very little time to make those decisions. And they're often hamstrung with the fact that the legislature has put in place a mandatory minimum sentence, which says they can't go below that, or has given them a range of, you know, really high ridiculous numbers. So we, we have a still a heck of a lot of work to do in the states on our sentencing system. And look, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, Australia certainly doesn't have it right either. I think a lot of people would, would say we are completely the opposite and we're far too soft when it comes to sentencing and, and people who do some horrific crimes, you know, uh, tend to get out quite quickly and quite easily on good behaviour, should we say. So, look, as I always say, no one's got it perfect. Um, obviously, we're shining a light on the US in particular here because that's just who I'm talking to at the moment. So I'm certainly not giving up on Mr Tally and I will be um, hounding the governor's office as much as I can to try and see if we can't uh, at least draw some attention to, to this particular situation because I, I really think it's... Yeah, as I said many, many times before, I really believe this man has certainly um, paid his debt to society and some uh, and deserves to spend the latter years of his life on the outside with his family and his, and his grandkids. So we will, uh, we will see what we can do. Well, yeah, I appreciate your thoughts. I mean, I listened to your episode where you contacted the governor's office and I was uh, amused by their response. <laughs> yeah, as if just resend your email. email. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Governor DeSantis was going to say, oh, Jack Lawrence's email. I got I to gotta check that out. I would go ahead and try to re-forward your email so that it goes to the top of the inbox. Um, and then I will keep an eye out for it. Okay, great. Because I'm just trying to get an interview with the governor. I don't suppose you know if that's, there's a possibility of that happening at all? Um, not at the moment, no. But I would go ahead and just resend that email. Okay, no problem. Um, I'll try again. Yeah. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. Have a good day. Bye. It was it was really hilarious the seriousness in which they treated it as if oh yeah, yeah just send oh, it oh just resend it yeah the, let it go let, it'll just go right to the top and it'll get spotted there at the top and we'll yeah. get back to you sure you will that was absolutely hilarious I think what would be of great interest for American listeners is that we really have no sense of how you sentence people there I mean obviously part of your, your listening base is there 
what are the parameters of sentencing in your country? We really have no exposure to that. In, in your system, what are the bases that a lawyer can strike potential jurors? I'll be the first to admit I have no expertise, obviously, when it comes to that. I do believe there is something uh, called preemptory challenging, but I, again, I don't know the rules behind it. So I will definitely get uh, someone from Australia on to discuss uh, how our jury selection happens. That's for sure. Yeah, I would, lo- I would love to hear from one of your Australian lawyers to speak on that subject because our system gives us, you know, depend upon what court you're in, uh, uh, a limited ability. You know, we can strike anybody in our system for what's called cause, but that means you have to show that the witnesses demonstrated a bias or prejudice that they couldn't be fair, which is which is sometimes a very difficult showing to make, mm. even despite what some of the things they'll say to the judge and to the lawyers. Yeah, right. That's fascinating. Well, I appreciate that, that and I will track down an Australian lawyer and we'll sit down and have that chat and see exactly how that works. Can I tell you one thing, one bit of irony associated with your show is that in our system, people are asked in juror pre, pre-selection questionnaires, as well as during the, the questioning process by the lawyers, things like what podcast do you listen to? <laughs> they do. So that's a, that's a, that, no, they do. It's really it's a common question now. So the funny part about it is, if if a potential juror listed one minute remaining as one of the podcasts they regularly listen to, prosecutors would take that as a cue that oh, this person's probably pro defense, and the defense lawyers would take it as probably hey, this guy's probably pro defense. So you may be subtly influencing jury selections throughout our country, Jack. <laughs> Look at me go. The, the power that I wield, Michael. <laughs> exactly. You, you didn't even know it. I feel so powerful now. That's fantastic. Well, maybe Governor DeSantis might take my call after all if he realises the power that I carry. <laughs> oh, yeah, once he sees your emails at the top of the Yeah, track, I think yeah absolutely. As always, a massive thank you to Michael for his valuable time and wealth of knowledge. And as he states, sometimes the only way that these cases will get some attention is by us spreading the word. So tell as many people as you can about this particular story. If nothing else, get them to listen to David's story and let's spread that message and see if we can't make enough noise to bring attention to this case. Coming up in our next episode, we begin the story of Amelia Carr once the youngest woman to be placed on death row in the state of Florida. My name is Amelia Carr. Um, I was charged and found guilty of first-degree capital premeditated felony murder and first-degree kidnapping. I was originally sentenced to death and now I'm serving two life sentences. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.